My name's Ryan. I'm one of the, the pastors here. I'm not normally the guy on stage, but I've got, I get the privilege of hanging out with you guys um, for the last couple of weeks and then uh, one more week after this. And we're studying um, the book of Ruth, and we're talking about and uh, uh, processing through how God is redeeming Ruth. And uh, it's, a, it's a great story. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed getting to be up here. Um, the, the first week we talked about uh, God's hand in our suffering. And uh, we talked about um, how Naomi was going through the worst time she could possibly go through. And, um, and, and she was able to go towards God. And uh, Ruth saw her and was able to also go towards God because of what she saw in Naomi. Um, and then last week we talked about God's hand in our luck. And we met the third character in our story. There's three main characters. It's Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and four um, if you count God, which is kind of an important deal. So... Um, uh, but last week we met Boaz for the first time, and they got to talk, and we talked about how we don't have it just so happen moments, but that God's bigger than that, and he's working everything out, and he's putting everything in play and everything in motion. And this week we're going to talk about God's hand at our risk, um, because we, we can tend to live a very safe, very, um, very safe life and do things just how enough to get by. And uh, I want to talk about some very risky advice that Naomi gave to Ruth. Um, and so I want to say that by Adam, that this is, uh, this is an interesting uh, piece of text to, to talk with you through. Um, it's kind of like Ruth gone wild. So um, if, um, <laughs> if you have a child in here, you, I, I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying we're going to be talking about interesting stuff. Um, and so you might want to go take them and let them go to One Way Street, our children's environment, um, if you don't want to, completely cool, but don't yell at me when they ask you a lot of questions on the way home, okay? Um, that's just, uh, that's kind of, I got to just be honest, <laughs> good idea. Um, so, um, <laughs> I can't believe people actually listen. I feel like, you know, um, all right, so um, that's kind of where we're going today, and we're going to talk about some really interesting advice. I'm actually more nervous today than I have been, not because I'm nervous about being in front of you guys, but just because this is a... Uh, it's hard to explain this in the right context and not sound like an idiot. Um, so um, we're gonna we're just gonna jump right in. We missed a few we missed a few verses up to this point. We had covered every verse in Ruth, um, and then we had to skip some uh, this time. And so what I want I want you to know what happened. Ruth and Boaz go on their first date, and um, they are uh, they're not they're. They eat together, and, and he's, you know treats her well, all that good stuff. But then they go six or seven weeks, and there's nothing. He hears nothing. You know, she hears nothing. You know, her and Naomi are starting to get a little freaked out. Why isn't he called? You know, they, she needs him to define the relationship for her. He's not wanting to do that, apparently. Um, and so they, this is how this conversation begins when Naomi gives him this awesome advice, or gives her this awesome advice. And so they've, they've went on a date, heard nothing more. Uh, Boaz is being a typical guy, don't know how to, to move forward, don't know how to close the deal. So um, <laughs> I just got into my first amen. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> and so that's where we're at. And this is a temp, she's at a temp job. She's gleaning, um, right? We talked about that last week. She's picking up grain behind all the harvesters um, on Boaz's field. And so she's going, and that's kind of equivalent to dumpster diving or something like that. She's going behind uh, the people that are getting all the good stuff and picking up what's left over. And so um, she's got about, it's been about six or seven weeks since their first date. And it's a temp job because it doesn't last all year. And so she's panicking because she's not 
She hasn't, he hasn't heard anymore. He hasn't asked her to marry him, all this stuff. So Naomi gives some advice, and uh, that's just right where we're going to pick, pick up because this is some intense, intense advice. Um, <clears throat> Boaz is a close relative of ours. We're going to start in verse 2. Boaz is a f- close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. We'll come back to that in just a minute. So the close reason she tells her close relative, and you'll see this in a few verses, and I want to start here, is there's this principle back in those days called the Redeemer Principle. And, um, and basically what that means is there's family redeemers anytime. So uh, the best way to explain it would be um, my wife is, I have two brothers. If I, if I died and they weren't married, it would be their responsibility to redeem Jennifer and to marry her and to be... Um, to be there, be her husband, take care of her. And it was a very, thought a very shameful thing to not do this. It's not something you didn't do. Um, and so if it, wasn't my, if it wasn't my brother, then you can go down the line, so on and so forth, and people have the option, the opportunity to redeem you, to redeem the woman if they see fit. It's not near as shameful as you go down the line to say no as it is when you're the brother and you say no, but it's still one of those things. So this is kind of why she's telling her, your close relative of ours, not because... Um, they're from a state that, well, never mind. Um, (laughs) There's really no way to not get in trouble there, so I'm just going to move on. Now do as I tell you, um, verse 3, now do as I tell you and take a bath. Ladies, it's biblical. Um, and, uh, And put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. So, Get all prettied up, get all dolled up, put the makeup on, do your hair. He's only seen you when you're all nasty and sweaty, so let, let's change that. Get prettied up, uh, take a bath, put on a little, uh, little perfume, a little, little Moabite madness, because um, she's from Moab. That was a funnier joke than I thought it was going to be. Um, so, so get a little Moabite madness, you know, get, get prettied up, do your thing, take the six hours that ladies take to get pretty, and uh, then go. And then she gives her some really good advice. She says, don't bother him while he's eating and drinking. So that's really important, ladies. Um, I, talked to my, I talked to my guys last week, you know. When, when a man is enjoying his food and his drink, we're not like you. This is not a conversation time. We want to eat. Um, that's, I'm going to eat as fast as possible so that we can talk then. But I want my chicken wings and, and my drink. And so he's, he's saying, don't go in and go all emotional train wreck on him. Okay, um, don't go in. I need to know what we're going to do. Don't do all that. Don't start crying. I need you to tell me if we're going to get married. Don't do that. Okay, um, he's trying to relax and eat and drink. Wait till he's done. Um, and don't, ladies, don't look at me like that. You know you do it. You go all, there's guys that do it too. Sorry. Um, uh, but um, don't go emotional train wreck on the guy. Let him eat, finish eating. There's something, some way, I don't really know. Um, but food and the Holy Spirit for men are interconnected. So if you let us eat and, and, and have our food, we'll feel better, and then we can talk. Um, but if not, we're grumpy and jerks. So she says, let him get finished, and don't let him see him. But be sure to notice, <laughs> this is the fun part, be sure to notice where he lies down, then go uncover his feet and lie down there. So wait and see where he goes. Let him get a little sleepy. He's got some food in his belly. And then uh, go and, and take the blanket that's on his feet and lay down at his feet. This is my favorite part. And then he will tell you what to do. I'm sure he will. 
sure, sure he will. I'm sure he will. So, um, <laughs> where do you go? You know, I really didn't want to talk about this. Um, <laughs> go and and lay down, and then he'll hook you up. He'll tell you what to do, where to go, how things work. Isn't that awkward? Just to read it in the Bible. Um, so, and it's <laughs> this is. A little bit more symbolic than usually made, I think. Now, there's plenty of uh, Bible people smarter than me that could definitely argue with me about this. But she's going and she's laying down at his feet. Now, what I want you to know is this next verse, uh, Ruth does something that blows my mind. Because I think if, if somebody told me to do that, I would have some questions. Maybe a couple. Um, like, that's... And I might just say, this feels weird. Probably not going to do it. Um, but Ruth just says, right in verse 5, I will do everything you say. Right? I don't... That really blows my mind. That she would just be like, okay, sure. I'll do it. I can do that. I can get prettied up. I can go. I can wait to him to finish eating. I can wait for all that. And then when he lays down, I'll go and uncover his feet and lay at his feet and let him tell me what to do next. Um, you know, you say it like that, and it really is kind of like, wow, she is faithful. Um, what I want you to know, and what I wanna, where I want to pause here for a minute is that I think a lot of times we're asked to do things that don't make sense. And God leads us to do things that don't make a whole lot of sense. And, and God's calling us to do things that just, you, you add it all up and it feels weird. And it's just not something we, we really think that we should have to do or that we should do. And we can justify it out and say it doesn't make sense and it doesn't this and it doesn't that. And, but at the end of the day, we have to choose whether or not we're going to believe that God is leading us and believe that God's asking us to do something way outside of the box or we can choose not to. And we can live this really safe, really uh, perfectly happy, normal Christian life or we can take some risks. And Naomi is a woman driven by faith. I mean, not Naomi, excuse me. Ruth is a woman driven by faith. And so throughout this entire book, she has shown time and time again how faithful she is and how she'll do what God asked her to do and she'll go where God leads her. And so this is what Naomi is telling her to do. And this is really strange advice. This is really unusual advice. And she just says, okay, I'll do everything you want. And for me, it just, I mean, it, the first time I read that, it just was like, really? Because I'm thinking you're not going to say you're going to do that, right? You're going you're gonna to shut this down and tell Naomi she's, she's lost it, right? And, but she doesn't. She just says, okay, I will do everything that you say. Which, number one, shows us that um, they know that Boaz is a, is a good man and a man of pure heart. Because Naomi would not throw her, daughter to the, her daughter-in-law to the wolves. She would not throw somebody like that out there and say, go and let him have his way with you. Go and let him do whatever he wants with you. She, he, she just wouldn't do that because Ruth is, for the most part, taking care of her. Ruth has gotten food for her. Ruth has made sure she's fed. Ruth has done everything for her so that she can recover and recoup and, and get on the right side of all the suffering that she's had. So, we're, I mean, we're, we're not going to really believe that Naomi would just say, hey, do this because I want you out of my house. I'm tired, excuse me, and I'm tired of looking at you. So she tells her what to do, and she just goes, okay, I'll do it. And that really, really should speak to us in a lot of ways because there's times where God just asks us to do things that just don't make sense. There's times where God asks us to do things that just don't add up. And they're just not computing for us on, okay, how's this going to work out? And how is this tangibly going to be what I need it to be? And how's all this going to play together? And we just have to trust that God's bigger than that. And I'm not saying don't ask questions and don't think about it. But I am saying that there's just a point where you just got to have some blind faith 
uh, and just do what God's called you to do. And trust that God's going to take care of you. And trust that God is bigger than what you see right now. And that's what Ruth did. She just understood, okay, this is bigger than me, and, we need, and God has provided so far, and God has done exceedingly what I, uh, what I expected, more than what I expected, and there's been a lot of it-just-so-happened moments, and we know that that's not a just, it-just-so-happened, but we know that that's God providing an everyday grace that God gives. And so God's been present through the whole thing, and so she's asked to do something that doesn't make sense, and she just trusts, and she has faith, and she says, okay, I'll do it. There's a lot of people in this room that could not have that kind of faith. Not just about that situation, just in general in life. And I think when we, have, when, we, when we show faith and when we allow faith to come through in our lives, we see God show up in the biggest way. We see God do some of the biggest things because when you're completely relying on him and you move everything out of the way and you move all of what you think you can do out of the way and all of what you're capable of and you have to put it completely on to what God can do and to what God will do, then you will truly see how God act and how God can do things in your life. And that's just huge. A couple of, uh, forever ago, when me and, uh, me and Jennifer had just been married a couple of years and I was working, I, was, I had a job I just didn't really need to have it wasn't a really good situation for me and I was kind of running from God and, and just you know wasn't into that whole thing much at the moment and didn't really like the whole marriage thing either and and, and kids and uh, you know other than that though I was really happy um so <laughs> um and I was just running from God you know and and it happens we all do it um at some time in our life probably um in different ways and it was just I just wasn't happy, and I went to a, a church, and, and the pa- our pastor, uh, he, they had been praying for me, and he preached this sermon, and it just, it blew my mind, and, um, and I just, I knew that God was calling me to something different, and I knew why I was running was because there wasn't, I wasn't living a story that was, that had risk in it, because all of us are, we have this in us that we want to do more than what we're capable of. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to see God at work in our lives. And when we live this really safe, really straight and narrow life, it can be really hard to see that. And we can get completely wrapped up in all the wrong things. But when we have to be completely faithful on God and completely wrapped up in who he is and how he's going to provide, it just kind of changes your outlook on things. And so I, I just knew that I would, it was time to quit running. And I, I, stopped, you know, I just kind of got my head on straight. And over the next few weeks, God just started saying, hey, this isn't the life I have for you. This isn't what I have for you. And he just kind of, I really felt strongly like I was being called into the ministry and I was being called to be a, a pastor or some sort. And um, so I, I, I told my wife, and, and my wife is very much a very analytical, safe, you know, she's, she's really smart. She's got choices and she's going to make the right one and she's going to beat the dead horse until she makes it, you know. And so I remember telling her, like, I feel like I need to quit my job and I need to go to school, and I need to get my life on the right track, and I, need to, and I need to go towards being in the ministry. And I remember her looking at me, and she started crying. I'm thinking, oh, I've made her mad. And she says, I think the same thing. And so in that point in our relationship, that's not something we said a lot to each other. So I took that as a God thing, and I said, okay, I'm done. So I went, and I quit my job. And that day, I just went and cleaned everything out and, and made a little bit of a rash decision. Maybe you should have done a notice or something. Um, and uh, just left and packed it up and said, that's it, I'm done. And, and went home. And, and so 
<laughs> Jennifer ended up talking with the pastor's wife and telling her about what we had done. They didn't really like that, and they asked to take us to Sonic, and so we went, and uh, I just thought we were going to have a meal. I wasn't prepared. Um, and so they start talking to us, and, and they're basically trying to tell me what a dumb decision I've made, and, which is fine. It's cool, but I'll never forget what the pastor's wife said to me, ever, as long as I live. She looked at me right now, and she said, <laughs> God will never, ever call you to do something that doesn't line up with common sense. And at the time, I was too dumb and naive to laugh hysterically. Had I been able to go back, I might say something like, yeah, because built, Noah building a really big boat for no apparent reason was common sense. That, was, that lines up, you know. Moses talking to a burning bush, that's common sense, you know. Um, all these things where the Bible just doesn't line up with common sense, and all these things where we see God move in huge ways completely goes against what would be common sense. And I remember that, I, I look back on that day because that statement, it definitely put a stop to my forward motion. Because I thought, you're right, this isn't much common sense. We don't have a way to make any money. We don't have a way to get a paycheck. We don't have a, we, she doesn't have a job yet. I don't have a part-time job. I don't even have my, my GED at the moment, so how am I going to get into school? Right? You like how I slid that in there? Um, I mean, so there was a lot of stuff that, that had to happen. And I just completely, it stopped me cold when she said, Com- the common sense, it's not, God's not going to go against what your common sense tells you. <laughs> now, being nine years later, <laughs> I can definitely say, that God has called me to do more things that are against common sense than you can possibly imagine. And he has asked me of me things that don't make sense more than you can possibly imagine. And it gets to the point now where legitimately, when we feel that way, when me and my wife feel that way, we'll look at each other and we'll just smile. Because we know we're about to go on a ride. And we know God's going to take us on a ride of um, up and down emotionally. And we're going to feel like we're never going to get there. But at the end of the day, God constantly and always, always, always provides. And we can talk about how God did something so much bigger than us when we move ourselves out of the way. And we just say, okay, God, I'll do what you want. I'll do what you've asked of me. I'll go where you want me to go. I won't be limited to what I can see and what I know and the math equation I can put together and the choices I can make, but I will trust that you're so much bigger than it just so happened, and you're so much bigger than what I know, and that you have the whole plan at play. Do I always just say, sure, let's go? No. No. Sometimes I'm like, whoa, God. Take it easy. Big fellow's not ready. But every time I've gotten myself out of the way, God's done something huge. He's done something huge. And I think Ruth understands that because she says, okay, everything you say, I'll do. And there's not, I don't think there's a person in this room that would just be like, okay, sure, sounds like fun. She responded with faith. Naomi gave her advice with faith. Let's see what Boaz does. Let's see what he tells her to do. Around midnight, this is verse 8, around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. I imagine. Um, <laughs> that would freak me out now if it was with Jennifer. Why are you at my feet? Um, 
Who are you, he asked. Now, there's a reason he asked this question. Um, he's sleeping on the threshing floor, and in just a minute, I'm going to explain to you what that threshing, the whole threshing floor thing is. But he's sleeping down there, and basically, um, he's doing it so no thieves or anybody steal his grain, because he's worked all this time. They've been on the threshing floor packing it down, and they'll do that with, like, sledgehammers, or they'll bring animals in or carts, and they're just trying to pack it as much as possible, and then they'll take pitchforks, and they'll take the grain, and they'll throw it in the air, and they'll let the wind take away all the fluff and the stuff that's not that good, and the heavier grain will drop. And then they package it or bundle it or whatever they do. I'm not completely familiar with that. And then they sleep there so nobody will steal it. They don't have alarm systems back then. I know, that, I know that's weird. But so, um, they had, so he sleeps there to guard it. And what will happen is because these guys have been eating and drinking and doing all that fun stuff, um, prostitutes will often come out. And, and try to lure them, you know, and sneak under their blanket while they're sleeping because they think, well, they've had a couple of drinks, they're good to go. And so um, that's why he says, whoa, whoa, who are you? Because that's not the kind of guy Boaz is. And so he wants to establish right now you've gotten up under the wrong blanket. Um, <laughs> and she says, I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. This is spread. The, this is looked at so many different ways, and so if you're a Bible scholar in here, you can yell at me later. A lot of people will take this as an offer. She's offering to have sex with him. She's she's throwing herself at him. She's saying, "Okay, let's do this." All right, and I'm gonna disagree almost completely. Um, the, in that time, those coverings, though, when they say something like that, and some translations will say, "Spread your wings over me." It, can go either way. Um, it doesn't really matter. But in those trans, in those times, when you say something like "put your cor- put your cloth over me, put your cloak over me, put the corner," what basically she's saying is that's a that's a sign of engagement or proposal, and that's a sign of marriage. And so she's saying she's not proposing to him per se, but she's proposing that he propose, um, if you will. And so she's saying, "Take your blanket and put it on me." And so they didn't really do rings back then. And so that's kind of what it means. She's not throwing herself at him, I don't think. <laughs> and there's a lot of back and forth on, don't we think Naomi and ask Ruth to, to cross the line? Don't you think Ruth crossed the line? And <laughs> I don't think she crossed it. I think she dances on it vigorously. <laughs> um, I, I mean, she's, do, she's doing a, a two-step right there on the line. Um, and she's tiptoeing onto the other side of it. But I don't think she crosses it. And I, I can only speculate there, but I just, the way she says is really intentional for him to propose to her. He's saying, she's saying, dude, why are you wasting time? We had our date. It was fun, right? Let's do this. Propose. Put your blanket over me. Put your covering over me. Put your cloak. And let's do this. I'm, I'm good. I'll let, let's get married. And so <laughs> I've heard it said that maybe... The timing and the way she does it was maybe to her, give him a little incentive to hurry up. Um, but I'll leave that to you. You can argue about that. Um, <laughs> nobody even caught that. Verse 10. He says, The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz explained. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. This is our hint that maybe Boaz isn't the most attractive fella. He's surprised. He can't believe she's interested in him. 
What do you, what? Really? You want me? You haven't gone, what? This is amazing. I can't believe you didn't go after someone younger. Maybe more your type. I don't, you know, I don't know if he has a pot belly or what his deal is. Um, I don't know if he looks a lot like me, and that's the problem. I'm not sure. But um, he's, he's very surprised that she would be interested in him. And so he says, Lord bless you, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I think this is a good idea. Um, verse 11, now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. So everybody knows that you're good, you've taken care, you've got character, you've taken care of Naomi, you've done what's asked of you, you've lived by faith, you've, everybody knows this. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Here's, what, here's where I want to start, because this, I've heard this get just butchered so many times, and so I just want everybody in here, whether you're a Bible scholar or you've never even opened one, to really understand what this is saying. He's basically at that point saying, it's not my job. I don't have to redeem you. This is, there's somebody else in front of me. There's someone else in line in front of me that can do this and can take care of this. This really isn't my responsibility. And what we're going to see here and how this is all going to play out is that they're going to end up married. And a lot of people will say that Boaz is just fulfilling the law. He's just fulfilling his responsibility. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. And I'm going to tell you that I absolutely 100% do not even closely believe that. Because this is his moment when he's saying, I don't have to, this isn't my job. I don't need to do this. And we're going to see in just a minute where he, it, he does this because he loves her. He does this because he wants to redeem her. He does this because he wants to see her come into the fullness of what God has for her. He's not doing this under any circumstances to fulfill a law because he has an out. He doesn't have to do it. He can do without. He can say no thanks. But he's in love with her. He's in love with her. There's some of you in here right, right now that you have, or you have or you are a redeemer in somebody's life. You didn't have to love them, but you do. You didn't have to be there. For, you didn't have to be that person that was determined to see the best in them when nobody else would. You didn't have to be that person that was determined to see more in them when nobody else would. You didn't have to be the person that believed in them when there was no reason to. There's some of you in here right now that are a redeemer in somebody's life. Because you're not obligated to do this and you're not obligated to have to love them and to have to do things beyond what you need to do, but you're just that kind of person. And there's some of you in here that have been redeemed because somebody believed in you when nobody else would. And I just want to take just a second and tell you right now that those people in your life, those people that are the redeemers, those people that choose to redeem people like me, when there's really no reason to, are so special and such a gift from God that I encourage you when you leave this room to go and find them, call them, hug them, kiss them, whatever, and just take a minute and just say, thank you. I'm sitting in a coffee shop yesterday and I'm crying like I just want a beauty pageant because I started thinking about how my wife is my redeemer. How she was always, the, she's always been that person whispering in my ear, dude, you can do whatever you want. You're so much smarter than you think. Occasionally when she's really, you know, not paying good attention, she might even tell me I'm good looking. 
She has always been my redeemer. And not because she had to be, and not because she was fulfilling some sort of law, not because she didn't feel like she could, couldn't walk away from me, but because she believed in the gospel of grace. And she believes in the gospel of grace. And she believes that I can be anything that God wants me to be if I'll just get myself out of the way. And I think that's what Boaz is, I mean, I really believe that's Boaz. And if we, we talked last week about the correlation and how this story, Boaz is God and Boaz is the Jesus character and we're Ruth. And how we come to him open-handed and needy and he provides and he does things far exceeding what he has to. And he goes far beyond what the law requires and he goes all the way to grace. We talked about that last week. And if we apply that here, we can see how Jesus doesn't have to redeem us. He's not requi- God isn't required to redeem us back to him. He doesn't have to. He's not fulfilling a law. He's doing it because he loves us. He's doing it because he wants to. He wants to redeem us. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to have that sort of love relationship with us and individually. If we apply the understanding that this story looks a lot like our relationship with God, then we have to understand that it's really important that God isn't redeem, doesn't want to redeem you or hasn't redeemed you because he wants to. I mean, excuse me, because he has to, but because he wants to. And so... If we know that, how do we not take some risks every once in a while? How do we not make our life one big risk? Boaz says to her, next verse, I don't remember what verse it is. Hold on. Well. Sorry, guys, verse 13. Um. Excuse me, verse 12. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, verse 13, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. As surely as the Lord lives. That's a pretty powerful statement, okay? He's saying, I will marry you. And I'll get this dude out of the way. Don't worry about it. It's a big field. Um, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. Um, Verse 15. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to town. So she goes through all that. She does what Naomi tells her to do. She tells him to propose. She proposes that he propose. She goes through all this. (laughs) and he's like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's going to work out for me, but here's some barley. You think maybe she came back with a little less than what she expected? Um, She went for marriage. She came back with leaves. I'm just saying that's not a good start. Um, That's just not the expectation she had. She wanted to be married. She wanted him to propose right then. She wanted him to take her his cloak and put it over her and he was like I gotta do some checking on that but here bring that over here and I'll put some stuff in it that's just not what the expectation was that's just not what the expectation was and there's gonna be times in your life where God's gonna call you to do stuff and God's gonna ask you to do things and God's gonna lead you to do things that don't make any sense and it's gonna be a risk involved 
And he's going he's gonna to do far beyond what you think he's going to do. But at the moment when you do it, when you just break down and do it, and you think one thing's going to happen, and then you get leaves, it can seem really frustrating. It can seem really, really frustrating. I know for me it has been. Wait, that's not how that was supposed to work out at all. I had a whole different scenario played out for that in my mind. I had a whole different way that I thought this was going to go down in my mind. And Ruth did all this. She gets all dolled up. She puts on the perfume. She goes. She lays herself down uncomfortably at a guy's feet. She's breaking a lot of taboos. The, guy, the girl doing this to the guy. She's a Moabite. He's a Hebrew. All these things she's going against. She's taking a lot of risk. And he says to her, let me check in on that. Have some barley. That's just not what the expectation was. And there's times when we just, what we think's going to happen just doesn't meet. It just doesn't. What our expectation is, it's just not met by what we thought was going to happen when we put a risk, when we risked ourselves. And the thing I'm going to say to you is two things. Number one is don't so much worry about the outcome, but just do what God's calling you to do right now. And just take the risk that God's calling you to take right now and allow him to take care of the rest. And the other thing is, is that I really believe that God has used this so many times in my life to remind me that I might not have had the most pure intentions when I stepped out of faith to do something. And it could have been a little bit more about me and what I wanted and less about what I wanted for God and for his kingdom. You may go and think that this huge deal is going to happen and that all of these things are going to fall into place. And that it's just going to be this life-altering, life-changing deal. And you come back with leaves. <laughs> we, have, we, we try to be as creative as possible at one church. And so there's times when we have these huge ideas and we think that this massive thing is going to happen out of them and that people are going to fall down on their faces before God or something, you know, and that people might just set the building on fire. They're going to be so excited, even though that doesn't make any sense. And, you know, and we're just like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And then we do it and we're like, that didn't go right at all. (laughs) That didn't accomplish what we thought it would at all. But I can also tell you, I cannot tell you how many times a month later we've heard the reason we're here is because that, and we, that was, you know, this, that changed my life forever. And then we start figuring out, okay, God did something. Maybe it wasn't what we thought, but he still did something. He still did something. He still used it, and probably in ways that we'll never understand. There's a, uh, <laughs> this is really, this is really awesome, cheesy. Matter of fact, Chris actually made fun of me, so you guys hit him when you see him, but um, I've got some, some Mentos here, and, and just for the um, use of today, we're going to call them um, Mentos. <laughs> Get it? I meant to, right? Um, yeah, like that? Yeah, right? I know. thought of that not by myself at all. Um, there is a lot of times in life, I think, where we end up with a lot of Mentos. I meant to do this. I meant to do that. I meant to do this. I meant to step outside of my comfort zone. I meant to let God use me in a way I didn't understand. I meant to, I meant to, I meant to. And I tried to think of a story to bring this in. And the best one I could think of was one that I've heard so many times. And I just, I love hearing it. And I didn't even ask him if I could tell it, so sorry. Um. Four or five years ago, six years ago, I'm not sure how long, Chris, 
our lead pastor here, had a real bad experience at a church. He got wounded, um, ended up having to leave. And I know what that's like, so I can relate in some ways. He was five, six hours away, you know, he was far away from his family, far away from his home, and he had to come home. And Chris could have very easily said, you know what, I'm done. But the thing that I cherish about our pastor is that he doesn't live with a whole lot of I meant to's. And so he decided to plant a church. Why anyone would decide to do that? (laughs) He decided to plant a church. In a part of town, there's not a whole lot of churches. And God just kept working and kept working it out and kept doing just unexplainable things. Three years ago, September, he started one church. We got to talk about at our three-year anniversary all the different things God has done. And because Chris didn't let his past hurts and his past pains and his past risks that didn't quite work out the way he thought, and decided to not have any I, I meant to's, but to move forward. One church has gotten to see over 300 people come to know Jesus. We've gotten to, it's gotten to impact people's lives in extraordinary ways. People's stories I still hear that don't live here anymore, that have PCS, gone to another town, and I'll still hear how God has used this place to impact them and to set them on the right path. Chris could have shut down and he could have given up. But he didn't want to look back on his life and say, you know what, I meant to do that. I meant to plant a church. I meant to do something. So he took a chance, a big one. And God did something far more than he ever imagined. And I really think that if we would all stop having a whole lot of those I meant to moments, And we would just do them. We would just do like Ruth. There went one. And we would just get ourselves out of the way. It's going to be messy for me. Oh dear. That God will explode and do something so much bigger than what we ever imagined. There it goes again. I've never asked Chris this question because I know the answer. Did you think, Chris, three years ago, that in three years, you would, that God would have done something as amazing as you got to see 300 people come to know Jesus? You got to see so many people baptized, all these people affected and their lives changed by relationship and their relationship with Jesus? If I would have asked him that, I don't really think he would have been like, oh, definitely. Yeah, there's no big deal. That's huge. But I really think if we'll just stop meaning to do things and we'll just allow ourselves to live out of faith in what God wants for us and what God has for us, then he will explode and do something far more than we ever realized and far more than we ever thought he could. Because I really think that when we live out and we step out on faith is when we're really going to find out how big God is. God is so much more than 
a nice house, two kids, a couple cars, and your comfortable suburbia life. He's going to call you to do things that don't make sense. And he's going to ask you to do things that don't add up. And he's going to ask you to do things where he has to show up and make it work. And you've got to choose, are you going to sit back forever and not take any risks and not let God work through you? Or are you going to get rid of all the I meant to's and all the I wish I had listened and done what I was supposed to and done what I was called to do and let God explode in your life and let your faith explode and touch other people in ways that you can never explain? I'll never understand how Chris went through what he went through and then said, I'm going to plant a church. But I know this. He wouldn't trade it for anything. I work with him every day. I know his passion. I know his heart. He wouldn't trade it for anything. The big idea today. I'm going to close with this. They're going to put it on the screen. (laughs) Calculated risk always accomplishes more than we realize. Calculated risk always accomplishes more than we realize. Your risk will always accomplish more than you think. God is always going to use, when he calls you to do something and when he calls you to step out, he's always going to use it. Let's pray.